Now today, um, we begin a series called The Crimson Thread. And let me simply say a prayer as we begin. Father, may you open our ears and our hearts to receive what you'd have us to receive. May you remind us of your pursuit of us and who you've created us to be. And Father, may you remove me and may people hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't give this as a movie recommendation, but there's a movie out, or a whole series of movie, with a guy named Liam Neeson in there with, uh, called Taken. And if you've seen any of those movies, here's one of the lines from it. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. For some reason, I really like those movies. (laughs) Confession time. But I think one of the reasons it resonates with me is this father is consumed that he is going to get his daughter back no matter what. And I believe the story of God, the story of the Bible, is that he is a rescuer, and no matter what, he is going to come and he is going to win us back. But to begin with, before he can win us back, we have to know where we've come from. Because what does he have to win us back from? And so we're going to enter into this series over the next few weeks leading up to Easter called The Crimson Thread. And we're going to see God's pursuit of us and much more. But to begin with, today we begin with beginnings, origins, family history. I know in our culture there's becoming more an obsession with personal DNA testing and trying to figure out where you've come from and where you belong in the big scheme of things. And each one of us has this desire to try to figure this out, how we belong, where we belong. And as we explore this question of origins, we're going to come to some different answers. And as we come to those answers, those answers can affect the trajectory of your life in many different ways. And for me, my early years were basically spent ignoring this question. I was too busy having a good time. But as I've approached more of midlife, these questions loom bigger. As you look closer, that life is temporal and where everything's going to play out to be. Now, these questions can lead us down many different paths to maybe potential career changes, changes in schooling, family, pleasure, and more. And even in the midst of these different pursuits, for a sense of meaning and purpose, usually we discover there's still something lacking that school can't fulfill, a career can't fulfill, a family can't fulfill, that there's something more. So in the next weeks, we're going to explore this concept but taking this crimson thread through the scriptures. So let's begin at the beginning this morning. If you have a Bible, feel free to take it out. I've heard more than one comment that there's no more Bibles in the seats. Well, guess what? That will encourage you to bring your Bibles with. If you have it digital, pull it on out. If you don't, um, you're going to figure out that you're going to need one. And also we're looking at, we haven't got it quite yet, we're going to get some Bibles for guests, not for the people who are here all the time. Bibles for guests as gifts 
that if they come on a Sunday morning, we'll just give them a simple Bible to take home with them and hopefully bring back the next week that they can read from. So take out whatever form you want, but we're going to begin with the first book and the first chapter and the first book verse in that book. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And on the timeline, this is in the period of creation on our biblical timeline. This is where we're going to camp today. So Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in this one statement, we launch into the narrative of Scripture to explore all of what God created and did. There's an assumption that states right away that God is the creator, the initiator. Now, some of you right away might say, well, didn't the universe always exist according to evolution? Well, at one point in history, there was this belief that the universe was eternal. Even Einstein believed that for a long period of time that the universe was static. But as scientists soon discovered with the shift in the color of light to red and blue, that the universe is actually expanding, And so when you look at an expanding universe, that makes you do the kind of reverse engineering and saying at some point the universe was closer together. And as we continue to go back farther and farther and farther, it brings everything we see, know in all the cosmos back to a singular point. Evolution calls that the Big Bang. And each one of us makes a decision about what we believe about that starting point. In evolutionary thought, it says that Uh, just randomly something that didn't exist exploded and now we have all these complexities. Scripture states that God was the initiator. God was the originator. And we use a term called ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God created. That God spoke and matter came into existence. God spoke and all that we know and see came into existence. He is the initiator. He is the architect. This might seem hard to believe that God did it, but it's just as difficult to believe that everything we see and hear and know now came by random chance and a random explosion. So we see creation. But beyond creation, have you ever thought of what it actually takes to have complex life on a planet because you could have all this dead creation but what about breathing life into this creation there's a video out called the privileged planet which goes through a series of everything that it would take to have complex life on a planet and i want to simply show you a preview of it this morning check this out A lot of things went right on Earth to have uh, yielded complex life, absolutely. The number of factors that have been postulated um, has grown. Currently, the typical number you would see is in a typical list would have something like 20. We find that we need to be at the right location in the galaxy, that we're inside the circumstellar habitable zone of a star, that we're in a planetary system with giant planets that can shield the inner planets from too many comet impacts. 
that we're orbiting the right kind of star. It's not too cool or not too hot. That we're on a planet that has a moon that can stabilize the tilt of its axis. That we're on a planet that's a terrestrial planet. A planet that has a crust that's just thick enough that it can maintain plate tectonic activity. That has enough heat in its interior that it's still circulating its liquid iron core so it can generate a magnetic field. That it has an atmosphere that has enough oxygen to allow for complex organisms to survive. That it has enough water and enough continents to allow for the diversity of life or an active biosphere that you need to support complex creatures such as ourselves. All these factors have to be met at one place and time in the galaxy if you're going to have a planet as habitable as the Earth, which you need for complex and even technological life. In an attempt to estimate the probability of attaining this combination of factors simultaneously, some researchers have developed equations assigning a conservative 1 in 10 value to each factor deemed necessary for advanced life. If every element has to be there at the same time, you have to multiply the probabilities. And that's what makes the probability at the end so small. You've got 10% of this and 10% of that. And these things rapidly multiply to exceedingly small numbers. The numbers on the order of 10 to minus 15, which is 1 thousandth of 1 1 trillion. And it's a number like that that you have to compare to the 100 billion stars that are in the galaxy. 100 billion is a very large number, but a thousandth of a trillion is much, much smaller. On their face value, these probabilities are speaking. What they're telling us is this can't happen, or this is very unlikely to happen in the galaxy. And that's where the evidence is pushing us. There are many probabilistic resources in the galaxy, but on the other side of the coin are all these factors that you need. You have to get just right in order to have just one habitable planet like the Earth. And that leads me to conclude that yes, we're rare in the galaxy. Rare, unique. It's incredible to just begin to think of us on this planet and all that took for us to be able to have life on this planet. Now, it's one thing to know the intricacies of the universe and the existence of life, but it's a much different question to know the purpose of life. And once again, we're confronted with a decision of how we're going to answer this question with regards to purpose of life. Within evolutionary thought, it's believed that all complex plant and animal life, including humans, originated from simple organisms and over long periods of time developed into complex organisms and what we see in modern days. So in, in that thought pattern, there's no difference between a plant, an animal, and human life. Just there are different points in the evolutionary process. Now let's take a look at what Genesis says with regards to this in chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God is the one who created humanity in his image. 
both male and female. In Latin, we say imago Dei, that we are created in the image of God, that we are image bearers of God, that all of history and all of humanity through all of history bears the image of God. Male and female, every shade of skin color, every ethnicity, from the impoverished to the rich, the mentally and physically disabled, young and old, every tribe, tongue, language, nation, every single person in all of history bears the image of God. You're not junk, you're not forgotten, you're not forsaken, you're not a random chance that you are here today. You are God's special and pinnacle of creation. His treasured possession. Just like I bear the image of my parents and my children bear the image of Nami and I, we bear the image of God as his special creation. And one of the greatest compliments that can be paid to any one of us is, you look just like your father, God, because we're created in his image. Within creation, humanity is also given a special place, a position of authority, Humanity is told to govern the earth and reign over the animals. And even before the fall, before the rebellion of man, the humanity was told to govern and reign over the animals. Now think about this way. Imagine you have a family, maybe you have a family, maybe you don't, but imagine you have a pet, a plant, and a child in your house. And the house starts on fire, And you have to race in your house and rescue one of those. The pet, the plant, or the person. Which one are you going to rescue? Which one is the most valuable to you? Hopefully you would save the child and rescue that child. Because within us we know that people are more valuable than plants and animals. Especially if we're related and love them. Let's take this a little bit farther. Imagine you live in an apartment and you don't have any children, and you have a plant and a puppy. And there's this annoying neighbor next door that you can't stand. Just drives you crazy, wish that that person didn't live next door. And you're out one day, and you come back home, and both the apartments are on fire. And you have a choice. You don't have time to rescue everyone. You have a choice to either rescue a plant or a puppy from your house, or this annoying neighbor that you really don't know, you really don't care about. If you believe that all of them have the same value and you make an emotional decision, you're probably more emotionally connected with that plant than that person. But if you believe that we are all created in the image of God and bear the image of our creator, you will go and rescue that annoying person next door because they have more value. Because they're created in a special place in creation. Also, this concept to govern and reign over does not mean that we get to take advantage of a position of power. If we look at Genesis 2.15, God states that the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. God made mankind caretakers of the garden. That we need to care for our physical planet But it's not just caring for our physical planet. We have been entrusted to be in positions of power, not to abuse those positions, but to actually cultivate and tend to our gardens. We are to be keepers, cultivators, helping life thrive in the garden. Think about the world now. 
What if each one of us looked at our sphere of influence as our garden? Not some physical plot of soil in our back garden or something, but our sphere of influence as our garden. If God has given you family or a certain position at work or influence in society or other things within your sphere, your garden, how would God have you tend and take care of that and cultivate that and make it healthy? Not take advantage of that position of power, but to serve in that position of power. To breathe life into that position of power. We are designed to cultivate and care, not to abuse and use those positions for our our advantage. Unfortunately, in our culture, power and abuse often go hand in hand. And people use position to manipulate, control, abuse, and this was never God's intent. He put humanity here to cultivate, to care, to tend. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of misuse, abuse, be it at work, at school, at home, be it in the church, it's horrible. It's horrible. And and I just want to personally say, if you've experienced abuse in the church, I want to apologize. Because that is not ever what God intended a place and gathering like this to be. A place where people try to position for power and control at the sake and harm of others. Beyond a position of authority and care, God has also placed a blessing on humanity. From the very beginning, God's desire has been to bless each and every one of us. That was his intention. It states in scripture, he blessed us and told us, be fruitful and multiply. And oftentimes our view of God can get distorted because of what happens later in the book. But the original intention was to bless us. Do you believe God has good things planned for you? That he wants to bless you and not harm you? That from day one, or day six we should say, because that's when humanity was created, that he wanted to bless you and make your life fruitful and multiply you. This is God's original intent. There was only one thing that God said was not good in the garden, and that was for mankind to be alone because we are created for community. We are not created for autonomy, to be alone. We are created for community with one another and connection with God. And he said, I've designed you this way, to function in community together. Now we are only two chapters into the Bible. And there's many answers to big questions about origins of creation and life, purpose of humanity. And these are already being answered in these early pages. And as followers of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, we need to go back and revisit those and say, what do I believe about these things? And not only for myself, but for others. If you have not noticed, in the larger society, many people are pursuing after meaning and purpose and why they exist and what they're here for and what's this bigger meaning. And I believe that scripture gives us answers. That we are created in the image of God. That we are special in creation and God wants to use us as a blessings in other people's lives. So I hope this morning already you feel special, just like everyone else. um, Because you are. God has created you unique in his creation. 
And before the fall, before the rebellion of mankind, there was no sickness, no death, no disaster. There was only peace and relationship with God and one another. But then we arrive at this fork in the story. A dramatic shift for the worse takes place in Genesis 3.1. We read about this talking snake in the garden. It doesn't tell us where this snake came from in Genesis. And it also doesn't say the word Satan. But a lot can be assumed about this snake. Because he is there in the garden already. And he is not there for the good in Adam and Eve. So if we read in the whole of Scripture, we'll find in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, and Revelation 12, if you want to read those later, how Satan ended up there. Originally, Satan was one of God's angels, a glorious, beautiful angel who rebelled against God, wanted to overthrow God in heaven, but ultimately got kicked out of heaven along with a third of the angels and sent down to earth, where he has come here to steal, kill, and destroy. He does not have your good in mind. He wants nothing but to reap destruction and chaos and havoc in all of creation. And so in this moment, evil has already happened in a spiritual realm. But it hasn't happened in a physical realm yet. Evil is in existence and it's also in the garden. And Adam and Eve, being placed in the garden, have a choice in God's original plan. Someone cannot be truly free unless they have a choice for right and wrong, good and evil. And God gave Adam and Eve a choice to either reject or accept him, to obey or disobey. And the choice was this. Everything in the garden was all yes. If Adam and Eve went to God and they said, God, can we do this? He would have said, yes, 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 to everything. And he put one no in the garden to give them choice. He said there's going to be two, two trees in the center of the garden, one the tree of life, one the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of all the trees in the garden, including the tree of life, but there's this one no, don't eat from that tree. But everything else you're free to do. Go have fun. And choice is a beautiful thing because without choice, I don't think we'd exist as we, we do. So we read in Genesis 3.1 these words. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? So right away, Satan is manipulating things. He says to Eve, did God not say that you should not eat from any tree in the garden? But God didn't say that. He said that they were free to eat from all the trees except one. So Satan begins to twist it. And Eve responds and states this. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. If you recall, there was two trees in the center of the garden and they were just told not to eat from one. They could eat from the other one. Also, God never said don't touch the tree. He just said don't taste. So Eve is already getting a little bit mixed up of what's happening here. So Satan responds and says, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
Here Satan tells a blatant lie. He says you won't die, but that is a lie. They will die. He says their eyes will be opened and they will be like God. People are already like God because they are created in his image and bear the image of God. They did not eat, have to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to become more like God. Because living in rebellion doesn't make you more like God. It makes you less like God. Yes, they would gain the knowledge of the good and evil, but God's knowledge of good and evil was that God always chose good and never evil. And in this simple choice, when they chose evil, this is not making them more like God. It's actually making them less. Unfortunately, Eve gives in to this fateful decision. And we read in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, don't just be blaming Eve here, because Adam was there the whole time, and he didn't do anything. He was just standing there. But Eve saw that this tree was beautiful, the lust of the eyes. Saw the fruit look delicious to eat, lust of the flesh. Won a wisdom for herself, pride of life, self-dependency, autonomy. I make up good and evil. I define what is right and wrong. I make the rules, not God. And in that moment, she made a choice to rebel against God. Before this, Adam and Eve only knew conceptually good and evil. They knew they had a choice to rebel. But when they took that step across the line into rebellion, they made a willful decision to bring rebellion into the physical realm. They had never experienced anything like this before in their existence. And instantly after eating the fruit, their eyes were opened, but not in the way that they thought it was going to be opened. Instead of having this wisdom and personal enlightenment and incredible experience, they realized they were naked. They felt shame because they were naked. And they sewed together leaves. But who was in the garden at that time? Who were they embarrassed of seeing them naked? It was just the two of them and God and animals. But something had shifted on the inside of them. And shame and nakedness came to the surface. Instead of being vulnerable and transparent and authentic with with one another, there was now shame and hiding. And here's the downward spiral for humanity. God comes to visit them. Instead of his creation, his pinnacle of creation, waiting there in anticipation of his arrival, they're hiding in shame and guilt. And ever since, humanity has been hiding. We hide in shame and guilt from God. We realize that there are things wrong in our lives, so we go and we cower in the shadows. And we hide behind work, humor, sarcasm, woundedness. We hide behind intellectualism. We hide behind addictions. And we are hiding in so many ways, and we are experts at it. And God comes looking for us, comes pursuing us, He did not wait for his creation to come out of the the shadows. He came calling 
for us. So what did God do when he finds them? Did he grab them and smack them around? Well, he confronts Adam. Adam blames the woman. The woman blames the snake. Snake doesn't have any options. But that's where blame shifting began. Right away, nobody's taking responsibility for their actions. And then God curses the snake. But he doesn't curse men and women. He curses the ground and tells Adam and Eve life is going to be much harder now. Pain and childbirth, thorns and thistles in the ground, but he never curses Adam and Eve. I've heard of women blaming Eve during labor for their pain. And I want to just take this moment to blame Adam for the condition of my front lawn with all the thorns and thistles. Because it's ultimately his fault. On top of this, God states that death had entered the world. He said, from dust you came, and from dust you're going to return. Death had begun. As we continue to read in Genesis, before they are even removed from the garden, the crimson thread begins. In Genesis 3.21 we read, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. The first physical death has been recorded. And who is the one who killed this animal? God. It was not Adam and Eve. God made the initiative to cover their nakedness by killing one of his other creation to cover the nakedness of humankind. And rebellion always leads to death. And God is the first one to shed blood in the Bible. God begins this crimson thread. And it begins to weave its whole way through the Bible. And God is the one who said, I am going to provide a covering for your nakedness, for your shame, for your sin, for your rebellion. Then within the same time period, God removes Adam and Eve from the garden. And usually we assume it's because of punishment. But in verses 22 to 23, we read it's really not about punishment. It states, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden. God's intention was not for mankind to live in this perpetual state of brokenness forever. He actually leaves death as a way out. And for believers in Christ, death is not an ending. It's a glorious new beginning. That we have been set free from this body of death and the curse that's on this world. And he sets us free to become the creation he ultimately has created us to be. And Jesus, when he came, he brought life with him, eternal life. The crimson thread had begun. This blood beginning here is pointing towards the sacrifice of Jesus thousands and thousands of years later. That God recognized that humanity was broken and naked and shameful and sinful. And he said, I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you back to me. 
And just like Liam Neeson in Taken, God states that whatever it takes, I am going to come and rescue you. If it costs me my own son, I will do it for each and every one of you. He said he would not stop until we came back into relationship with him. If you've never reached out to God, why not today? He has been pursuing you from even before creation began. And he continues his pursuit of you. And he will stop at nothing to know you. If you know Christ and you've wandered, why not come home? God is not angry. Yes, he's angry with sin, but he's dealt with the whole punishment for sin on the cross for you and I. And if you're already home and you're like, man, I know this stuff, Mark, I've heard this. Why are we even talking about this? There is 140 silhouettes on those backboards of people who don't know this. And if we truly believe that this is a transformational message, not just for now, but for all of eternity, during this last song, why not just get up and stand in front of those boards and pray that God would pursue people in his goodness and his love and that he would use use you and I as a part of that pursuit. May we recognize how God has created us so special in the created order And may we recognize God's pursuit of us from the very first rebellion. And he hasn't stopped and he won't stop until everything is made right in the end. Father God, we look to you. And God, I'm so thankful that you are pursuing us. And Father, we shouldn't take it lightly that we have not been the initiators. You have been the initiator from day one to bring us back into relationship with you. You are the ones who initiated us as your special creation, created in the image of God. You've breathed life into us and you've given us meaning and purpose. And Father, may we not lose that. May we be reminded of that. And even if we come in here broken and busted up today, each one of us has that within us. God, may we turn back to you and find forgiveness and healing and a covering for our nakedness and guilt and shame and sin only in the sacrifice of your son. Father, we long for these people that we are praying for to come to know you. And may you break our hearts and our lives, God, that we'd be unwilling to see people go through life without purpose, without meaning, without a relationship with the one who has created them. May you stir in a deep way, not just for us, but for those around us to be people who passionately pursue you and the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.